episode 31 with Jerry Flowers. Jerry's the bass player and band leader for Keith Urban. And uh, Keith is one of my favorite entertainers. I love going to see his concerts all the time. And Jerry is an integral part of that show, and he's got a great stage presence. He's a great bass player and just a really great guy. Really enjoyed our conversation. I know you're going to really like it. Make sure you check out uh, In Session with Darren Walters on iTunes. Make sure you leave a comment, say hello, give me a shout. Uh, I'm available on Facebook, Instagram, and my webpage, which is DarrenWaltersPodcast.com. Some other great listens there as well. So here it is, Jerry Flowers. Hey, how you doing? Excellent. How's life in Nashville today? Uh, it's really beautiful, actually. It's perfect weather. I've got the day off, which is nice. Perfect. Yeah, not, yeah it's not a bad day. Not so nice here. I'm actually, it's not bad. Sun shining. But it just doesn't. So where work. are you? So I'm in Ontario. So I'm uh, kind of between, just outside of Toronto, between Toronto and London. So I know you guys played London, okay. London quite a bit. Um, oh yeah. And Hamilton. So I'm kind of in that neck of the woods. So. Um, oh yeah. Not well. Yeah, yeah. You did a lot of. You've done a lot of shows in London. I know that. I've, I've seen a couple. Yeah. I mean, just Canada in general is just a really, really great. Uh, uh, market for Keith. Yeah, it, it, and right from the get-go too, I think. Um, and yeah, I think the, his first number one maybe was there. Uh, everything, like all his songs that have gone number one, they go number one in Canada first. Yeah, which is great. It's always neat to have that type of uh, acceptance in another country, even though we're pretty well like the U.S. Oh, in, yeah. in most ways. But um, yeah. It's, uh, it's certainly it, a different. To be thing. honest, it's my it's my favorite place to play. Oh, that's great. That's nice to hear. Uh, yeah, the best audiences to me. And it's funny because most people talk about Canadian audiences being pretty reserved, and I think they used to be, um, but they certainly aren't worth you know. But some some really? acts, they aren't. You know, they just let it go. Yeah, I, I've had that conversation. I can't remember who I was talking to about that. It was this past tour, and someone was saying that when they played there, that uh, the audience is really calm for them. Yeah, and it can like, be. My God, that is the complete opposite uh, experience that we've had over the years. I went to see, uh, this is a few years ago, I went to see Tim McGraw at uh, a big casino up here. So it's like a 6,000-seat room, so it's pretty big. Um, right. And it was so funny because they did the, the big music, you know, introduction you know ladies and gentlemen yeah. McGraw, and, and it's that casino crowd and it was just a light clap and by the time he just hit side stage it pretty well had lingered and gone <laughs> and the That's whole amazing the whole night was like that and you could tell it really threw them because they're they're timing in between songs where they're used to you know a lot of uh, on its applause and lots of screaming and yelling and it gives them time to set up for the yeah. next song. None of that happened. So there was this, all this really awkward dead air that happened all the show. And it was like, it was, it was awkward and funny experience. all at the same time. <laughs> when that, when that happens, it does, it throws off your rhythm completely. Yeah. Um, and that has never happened to us in Canada. I know that. I mean, it's, it's always the, the wildest. I mean, I, I would have to say uh, in my career, 
there's two or three shows that stand out, but there was one in a town called Penticton. You Pen- heard of that town? Yeah, Penticton. Yeah. Penticton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we played there. I, it's been a while now, but um, that was probably the craziest crowd I've ever seen in my entire career. Wow. That's uh, we've done amazing shows all over the world. So many great shows. And that particular crowd, I don't know what was going on that night in that town, but <laughs> they were insane in the best way. It was just the craziest energy. But, you know, really Canada in general is just like that every show we do. Yeah, it's been... Uh, uh, yeah, and certain artists are just like that for, and, and like I said, and other artists, they you have really really have to work for it, and and uh, wow, yeah, but it, yeah, I've, I've been to a few of those, and I've been a part of a few of those, which has been a little awkward, and it's just like, oh, okay, well, that's just, oh, absolutely, yeah, especially casino, like a casino crowd for sometimes uh, can be awkward because half the people there aren't really there because of the artists because they got free tickets or whatever, and they're just they got free tickets, yeah, yeah, yeah we've done plenty of those over the years and we do um a lot of corporate shows too yeah and for a lot of people that can really really be tough um you know like we, we've we will play people's birthday parties we've done that before like uh we did one last year in a small little bar and it's just crazy what people are willing to bring in someone like that for a private party but um you know sometimes we're you know kind of thrown into a situation where everyone's out there in a tuxedo and they're a much, much older crowd. Um, and you know, you would like the first two or three songs, it's really awkward and dead silence, but there's, I don't know what it is that he has in him that Keith has in him that he can win over every crowd we play for. Uh, you know, by the fourth, fifth song of those kind of shows, they're usually, just completely smashed up against the stage and going crazy. I don't know. He was born with this gift yeah. to read audiences better than anyone I've seen. Really, like, you know, to me, there's people like Prince and Bruce Springsteen, people like that live that just have this ability to completely just control an audience almost, you know. Um, and Keith is one of those guys that. I don't know how he does it, man, but he always wins them over. Yeah, it's it, it just pours out of him. I think it's infectious. You just cannot help, even if you you aren't a fan of the music or if you like something completely different. I think it would be hard to walk away from mm-hmm. a Keith Urban concert without saying, "Wow, that was one of the best things I've ever saw." Um, I've I've said that to people yeah. many times over the years that it might be coming to our show that. I know, like maybe your relatives or something like that. They say, "Well, we don't really like country music." I'm like, "It doesn't matter. You're going to walk away a fan." Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I've I've been playing with him for we started playing together 25 years ago, and wow. um, I'm still I'm still mesmerized so many times on stage. I'll look over at him during the show. It's like, damn, he's good. Yeah. He can just bring it because it, it just pours from his soul. He is that. I mean, because. He just loves to play. It has nothing to do with money or anything like that. He just loves to play. Yeah. Yeah, you he can just, tell. And that shows and that really comes through. And Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys had a pretty big uh, last kind of year touring uh, kind of all over the place. It was it was pretty uh, mm-hmm. pretty aggressive. I was kind of following the schedule on and off. And um, 
you guys were kind of everywhere and seemed like uh, you probably yeah. nice to be home and have some time at home for a while. Yeah, it was a it was a wild year for me because um, my year started uh, basically being told that I had to have this emergency open heart surgery that I had no idea that was coming. Wow. Um, and so that happened to me in February. So I had four days notice, I, I think, um, by the time, you know, when the doctor told me that, and uh, by the time I actually had to go in. So I, for the first 12 weeks of the year, I was out of commission completely um, recovering from that, which was, you know, it was really it's a brutal surgery. And uh, and so basically we, uh, I, we were, I was kind of lucky in the sense that we didn't have a lot of shows booked, um, corporate gigs and some, some festivals. So uh, rather than get someone to come in and replace me, uh, we just, uh, my, our sound man records every single night. So yeah. he just took my live parts and he put them on tracks and they just played with me, you know, on the tracks, uh, which is uh, amazing. They could do that. Um, yeah. And so then basically as soon as I recovered, I went straight into tour rehearsals and we just hit it hard after that. And, um, yeah, I had a really full year. It actually just ended, um, just a couple of weeks ago, really in, um, in Europe. That was the end of that particular tour. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, it was looked like it was a fun, I went to see the Toronto show. Uh, it was about like eight, mm. or eight or nine shows in at the, uh, amphitheater outside there. And, um, it it was great. I really. It was, oh yeah, it was that's fun. a great venue too. Yeah, yeah, it was loved. It. Yeah, it's, it was a good show last year. We 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 put a lot of work into that. Yeah, um, it was kind of a so so much rehearsal. It was a yeah. You could tell it was a different type of Keith Urban show. I I felt I really liked mm-hmm. it, but there was lots of um, you know I guess with you know with the new uh, album with you know, something being a lot more loop based and, and all that stuff. Oh yes. Um, yeah. 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 You could tell a lot more locked into computer and all that stuff. And, um, and that's, that's, yeah, a, we that's have a different to be, thing. Yeah, completely. I mean, it, you, you know, there was, yeah, we have a lot of tracks going on as far as a lot of rhythm tracks, a lot of drum machine stuff. Um, luckily we have a guy in the band, Nathan Barlow, who instead of, you know, a lot of stuff that would normally be on tracks, he's actually triggering live on this little instrument that he kind of invented. Um, and, but, you know, everything is, has to be so locked in with Simpty with the lighting and the video. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big production. Um, so much that goes into it. Um, which is, that's been going on for a while. Um, but this has, this tour really, I think, took it to a, a different level and, you know, cause Keith just wanted to, he just wanted to try something different, you know, cause he's very influenced by kind of what's going on with, with pop music. And yeah. he just kind of wanted to do something that was kind of a mix between the two. And it was fun. And but the thing with Keith is you, you who knows what's coming next, you know, yeah. it might, it might be extremely country to the next record. Cause that's his roots are very much that. Yeah. Exactly. So well, you know, we'll see, but yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. No, and it, yeah, it was great. Uh, I'm sure sometimes though, after you get, uh, and I've, I've been in those situations, a player too. And, and uh, it, it, sometimes it's nice when you, you get back home and 
you just get with a band or you're playing with a band without any of that stuff and just play again. Oh, if yeah. you know what I mean? It's a, mm-hmm. it's fun both ways. Um, but, yeah, and we'll do that too. Like we, we play um, trio gigs, just uh, me, him, and our drummer, Seth. Yeah. Uh, we'll do some of these um, corporate shows. We just go there, the three of us, zero tracks, nothing. Yeah. And just play for two hours. That'd be fun. Um, you know, we'll play bars too, you know, I can't remember what month it was last year, but we played this tiny little bar called the basement in Nashville. Um, that maybe holds 200 people possibly. And yeah. we just show up and play two or three hours just with nothing. It was so much fun. Oh yeah. I bet. So let's go back. And, uh, with this podcast, I like to always kind of go back to the beginning and find out where you came from mm-hmm. and what got you here. So, uh, I kind of yeah. re- were you. Did you grow up in West Virginia then? Yeah, I'm, I'm from a little town called Pinch. Yeah, um, it's about maybe 20 minutes from uh, Charleston, West Virginia, which is the capital city. So Pinch is pretty small. It's maybe I don't even know what it is now. Maybe 3,000 people. Um, not much there. You know, there were no restaurants or. Nothing like that. It was just uh, kind of an easy country life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by the time I was 16, 17, um, we were, my brother and I were playing the uh, bars in Charleston um, quite a bit. Um, and so, yeah, so right around 18, right after I graduated, we um, joined this, uh, this group, this man named uh, Manuel Bellina. Mm-hmm who did, uh, he just did pop covers. Um, he would, he would play these, um, Adams Mark hotel chains all over the country. And so two weeks after high school, I'm gone for the entire year. Uh, and we just play six nights a week, four sets a night and these, uh, hotel bars, um, and just played just, you know, whatever the pop music was of the day. So I did that for a couple years. And then um, uh, moved to Nashville when I was uh, uh, when I was twenty. Yeah. So, what, what age did you actually start playing? And it, what, was it the bass that you started, or were you playing something else at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I well, it was bass. Um, I think I was maybe oh, maybe eleven, probably maybe twelve at the time. Um, my brother is an amazing guitar player, and even at that point, he was two years older than me. He. Uh, he was great already, and yeah. he needed uh, he needed accompaniment. So he actually kind of forced me to play bass. I didn't have a lot of say in it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> a lot of bass players say that. <laughs> yeah, he taught me. Um, I remember a Def Leppard song called "Photograph." Uh, he taught me the bass part. We just had an acoustic guitar, and he took the the, you know, the high strings off of it. Yeah, and that's how I learned, and it just came really natural to me. And I don't know why. Just from then on out, I was just so enamored by bass and bass players, and uh, you know, I learned a lot from him because he was so good. Like I said, at a young age, freakishly good. Yeah, um, that he, you know, he was pretty much my teacher for many years. So is he still playing now? And at that point. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, he 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 was with Meatloaf for the last twelve years. Oh wow! And before that, he was with Winona Judd and Lori Morgan, and he's he's played with lots of people. Yeah, uh, he's just 
uh, a freakish talent. Awesome. So you remember your yeah. what, what your first bass was, what your first instrument was? Uh, yeah. Um, I, my mom took my brother and I to, um, cause we, we had a, a Hagstrom guitar that my oldest brother had. Yeah. So that was kind of our guitar that was kind of handed down to us. And then she took us to a, uh, a pawn shop called B and B loans. I don't know why I still remember <laughs> this. Um, uh, and she bought me this little tiny little short scale bass. And I think the whole thing was maybe $50 and it came with an amp that went to 13. Great. So it was two more than 11. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so it was this really cheap little kind of half size bass. And I had that for years. And then, um, I think maybe in seventh grade dad, uh, saw that we would, we were actually serious about this. And, um, uh, he bought me a Fender Squire. Oh, nice. Yeah, kind of like a cheaper yep. P bass kind of thing. Yep. So I had that for years and years and years. Yeah, that was my main bass for a long time. Do you still have it? Uh, nope. I turned it into a fretless bass when I went through my jazz phase <laughs> um, in high school. Uh, and I ended up Selling to somebody, I think, when I was in, you know, maybe 20, something like that. I wish I did have it now. I'd love to have a, uh, love to have a fretless. Um, that's 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 a thing. But that yeah, that was my first one. Then I just kind of kept going from there. You know, I've never been a real gear guy. Um, yeah. I've never known that much about gear. Like, it's gotten to the point now where it's kind of sad where my my tech is so good at what he does um, that he. Uh, he he sets up everything for me, and I don't even know if he wasn't there. I wouldn't even know how to set these amps up anymore. Um, yeah, it's gotten a little complicated. But so I, I've got really one bass that I've really I really splurged on, which is a '64 P bass. But other than that, it's it's all pretty standard stuff. Steph, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned the the fretless, and I remember back in the day. I had people showing up for sessions or whatever when I was doing a lot of studio work. And there was always, you know, you bring in a P bass and something and always be a fretless too. And yeah. And it's just like, that just doesn't happen. Like you don't see fretless on nope. anywhere. They you just, do not. It just disappeared. <laughs> mm -mm, yeah. Well, um, mainly cause no one could play them in tune. When I was a teenager, well, Pino Palladino, uh, was playing fretless on so many of those big pockets in the eighties and all the Paul Young stuff. And, yeah. Uh, and that sound was so exciting to me when I would hear it. There's nobody better at it than him. And he actually played on, he played bass on a couple songs on Ripcord. Actually, I think he played maybe on one or two songs on this last record too, but, yeah. um, one of them, he, uh, he definitely pulled out the, the fretless and uh and did it old school again it just sounds so so good yeah it's time to bring it back again i, think. I used to love it yeah so you made the what made you make the move to nashville what was that decision like i it, it's funny because my whole life i wanted to go to new york um because when i first started playing basically where we grew up um metal and and hard rock were pretty much the only things that anybody would listen to. Um, yeah. Even though we grew up in a really country area, really country music wasn't popular then except for um, Hank Jr. Uh, but so everybody listened to 
Ozzy and Motley Crue and Iron Maiden, which I love that, but Van Halen was always my absolute favorite. Yeah. I mean, I still, yeah. still love them. I'm looking at a framed poster of them in my, my music room up, upstairs right now where I am. Awesome. Uh, loved them so much. But then um, probably around 14 or so, I, I just, my cousin gave me a Sting Dream of the Blue T- Turtles tape. Yeah. That was his first solo record um, after the police. And something about that music, I don't know what it was, it just instantly changed my whole life. And because because of those musicians on that record, because it was Daryl Jones on bass and just Kenny Kirkland, Branford Marcellus, all these jazz musicians. Yep. That kind of steered me in this new direction. And then I discovered this Prince album called Sign of the Times. And then from then on out, it was uh, real old school R&B and, um, and jazz. That's what I was obsessed with for many years. So really New York was my, was my dream. Yeah. And um, I, I yeah, that just seemed like that was definitely going to happen for me. And then we decided that, you know, after being on the road with that uh, Cuban singer, my brother and I and our friend John Dederick, um, we, I don't know what happened. We, we met someone who knew a singer here and they said, oh, you can start a band with this girl in Nashville. And so we all moved to Nashville, never played with this girl um, once we got here. Yeah. And, uh, and basically six months after I moved here, um, I met Keith and we started playing together and formed the ranch after that. And so I just completely changed my, uh, my goals, you know, after moving here and after meeting him. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's, uh, it's a totally different direction. So the ranch, completely, yeah. yeah, I I have to say that I remember the first time I heard, uh, uh, the ranch album and I was on, Tour we're heading down. Actually, we're heading down to Florida. We're in a tour bus, and we're mm-hmm. going to play on a cruise ship. So we had like a twenty-four hour haul down to Florida, and nice. one of the guys uh, in the band said, "Have you guys heard the Ranch yet?" And I said, "No, we haven't heard it." We popped it in, and I swear that everybody in the whole bus just was silent for whatever length of that <laughs> CD was, 40 minutes, whatever. Mm. And we played it over and over and over again. And it's it's neat, you know, when you talk about, you know, being influenced by, uh, you know, Van Halen or certain albums in your time. And yeah, it must be neat being involved in a group that other people really, and I still hear people talk about uh, The Ranch, uh, especially up here to the day, that, that was yeah. really was a great album, and I think it influenced a lot of country it. people, um, uh, especially it was a lot different. of musicians. Yeah, um, it was very different for the time. Like it, because he was so different from everybody else in country music at that time. You know, it was a pretty cowboy kind of driven genre at that point. And when we started playing together, he had you know really long blonde hair and he had all these earrings and yeah. necklaces and, uh, and you know, I, I, I had nothing to do with country music at that point. Cause I, so I was very R and B influenced and, and same with our drummer Pete. He was more of a rock guy, but Keith at his core was really country. Like he knows more about country music than anybody I know. He's like a song library. He can play anything from any era, yeah. but his look 
was kind of radical. And the fact that we were a trio was really different. Um, and so it seemed just so out there at the time to so many people. Um, but <laughs> looking back, like if you listen to it now, it's pretty country. I mean, his, his, yeah. all his chicken picking guitar playing and, uh, the songs were country. Yeah. A lot, a lot more country than they, they are now. But, uh, at the time, though, it was pretty. It was pretty out there. It had. It's uh, funny because. No, I was gonna say it had a gr- had a groove to a lot of the songs that nobody else had, and that's probably Absolutely. from the influence of, yeah. of outside of being country. But you got this country player yeah. with this neat, funky rhythms around it, and that's what really drew me to the album. It's just, it's just there was so much groove and so much kind of funk to a country album, and it was, it was great. Yeah, that's what we used to call it, funk tree. Yeah, because <laughs> you know that was my that was my thing completely. I loved all the slap bass and all that Stanley Clark kind of uh, groove, kind of bass parts. And um, even though he you know grew up in a real country background, country music like true country music, some of his biggest influences in the pop world were Fleetwood Mac and um, Dire Straits and people that had a lot of rhythm. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and John Mellencamp too. He was oh, yeah. a huge fan of Mellencamp, you know, Scarecrow and all those records. And yeah. That stuff had super country influence, but the, at the, at the heart of it, it was really uh, just big grooves. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of where that came from. But, you know, it's when we were in it, it's funny because we could tell that people were liking us. They were starting to dig us more because we played all the time. Um, we played in this little bar in Nashville called Jack's Guitar Bar, which was, uh, you know, n- not the kind of bar you would just go and hang out in. It was a pretty rough little place, but yeah. it kind of became our signature gig. And so just, you know, over time, it just became this really popular thing. And Big artists would be coming in there and sitting on the floor. I remember a gig when Brooks and Dunn were sitting on the floor right in front of us and looking up at us, watching us. And, uh, but at the time, it didn't feel like we were doing that well because we were in a van touring constantly, playing, you know, all over the place. And it, it was a rough, rough go for us for a long time. We weren't really getting a lot of great response uh, from audiences. I mean, he, he could he'd win them over, you know, in time. We would we would get them. But there was a lot of towns where, especially like in, in Texas, places like that, that didn't really connect. And yeah. for us, it was such a struggle that we didn't, we never felt like people had this, you know, this love for us. And, uh, it wasn't until way, way later that we met, you know, younger musicians that said the same thing that you were saying. Yeah. It, so seems, feels good. it was like this underground kind of, uh, cool band that people knew about, but, I think it, you know, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It's sort of, but it, it, like you said, it, oh, yeah. it came out much later that, oh gosh, you, you know, everyone really liked this band, but, um, yeah. you know, maybe it just wasn't, you know, maybe it was just too early for yep. it or something, but so what, what happened? That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. It just wasn't meant for that, uh, yeah. for that era. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, I it's mean, still fun though. yeah. So what, what year was that? What, when did that come out? You remember? So I joined in 93. Three and then I think the record came out maybe in '96 or '97, beginning of '97. Yeah. Uh, and we, like I said, we toured like crazy. They had a 
they made like a little three-song single that they would uh, yeah. send out to every bar all over the country before we got there to try to get people to show up. But we never had any radio support. Um, they let us do two videos, Clutter Billy and Walk in the Country. Yeah. Uh, we had shot both of them in the same day. Uh, but they didn't really, at that point, have you know, a big radio budget for us. I think they were just kind of feeling us out. Capital was feeling us out at the time. Sure. Um, and it never really got the chance that it really should have. And, you know, Scott Hendricks, who was the president of Capital at the time, um, he was a huge fan of the band. And his plan, I think, was to go pretty big with us in 98. That was what he kept telling us. But then, unfortunately, uh, he lost his job at Capitol right before that. Oh, yeah. And the new guy that came in just didn't want anything to do with it. So it was just bad timing. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of great opportunities came from that, yeah. um, over the years. Yeah, I bet. Uh, like as soon as, as soon as we broke up, the Dixie chicks offered me, uh, a gig playing bass with them. So I, I went straight to that. That's uh which was pretty nice to be yeah. in a tour bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, a big difference from the van. <laughs> yeah, big difference. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough, but it was still a fun, a fun time. I mean, we were so young. I was 21 when I started playing with Keith. So, oh, yeah. you know, being in a van, that kind of stuff, it, 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 it sounds rough now, but at the time, that's just that's great. the way we had to do it. I never thought too much about it, you know. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. Well, that's awesome. So you moved on and, and started playing with, with the Dixie Chicks and, uh, mm-hmm. how was that experience, um, after being kind of in a band and being that part? And it was, uh, I mean, to be honest, it was really exciting because, uh, well, we actually met them, uh, at a thing called, um, the, uh, what was it? Um, country radio, CRS West, country radio seminar West. So we were in upstate California at that. This is when, the ranch uh, had walk in the country out and the chicks were about to come out with their first single. Um, they hadn't released anything yet, but yeah. we met them there and they came up to us and there were these big fans of us cause they were CNT was already playing our video. Yeah. So we just became friends with them. And, um, there, <laughs> they took a meteoric rise quickly. Uh, and so by the time uh, they called me and asked me to, tour with them um they were already doing really well at that point i think they were opening for tim mcgraw oh, yeah. and then they did the um little fair tour i think this was 99 maybe yeah. and um just to be on a tour bus was just incredible yeah and to have texts it was just it was just insane so i was just soaking it all up and it was fun those girls are incredible incredible musicians yeah, yeah. so you know, I'd gone from, it definitely, it wasn't like a step down, like most, at this point, if I were to ever play with anybody else, which I don't, I'm not really sure I would, would want to do. Um, it, it'd be hard to go from playing with Keith Urban to most other artists, just because he's so damn talented, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Where do you go But there? with them, it was, yeah, they, the girls were really, really good at what they did. So it was fun musically to step into. Good. So how long did you do that, uh, that gig for? I did three tours with them. Um, I did the, the Tim McGraw tour, the little fair tour, and then the big fly tour, which is their first big headlining tour. Yeah. 
So I did that. And then, um, the next thing they did was, uh, the bluegrass record and I don't play upright bass. I didn't grow up playing bluegrass. That's just, you know, that's one of those genres that you're pretty much seems like you're kind of born into. Um, and I didn't know anything about that world. Like I said, I didn't play upright and that whole record was upright. So that gig was unfortunately gone for me at that point. Should have pulled out the fretless. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is kind of like it, isn't I, it? I bought, a, I, bought a, I, I bought one to try to learn the uh, the upright, but it's just, it was too late. Those guys are, those bluegrass players, it's just a different yeah. different breed, man. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, unfortunately I lost that gig because of that. And then um, I actually kind of went through a bit of a rough patch. It was strange because you would think, going from the Dixie Chicks, uh, at that point, they were the biggest group, definitely in country music. Um, And one of the biggest groups in the world, really. In my head, I thought, oh, the the offers will start flooding in. Um, And it was the complete opposite. Yeah. Uh, I went, I mean, it was probably about two years almost without uh, a gig. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it was rough on me. I would try to get auditions even for for brand new artists, and I couldn't even get those. It was almost like it, I don't. I had, no one ever said this, but it was almost like that. Maybe people had in their mind that if you're playing with someone that big, then you wouldn't work for whatever they were paying or something. I don't know. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Um, not really sure. But I went through a little bit of a drought. You know, I would play shows around town, and I would uh, that I would take just gigs here and there to to survive. But um, it was kind of a it was kind of a rough go for a little bit, and then um, I started uh, a group with my brother and my friend John Dedrick, who us who moved with us from West Virginia. Who John ended up playing with the Dixie Chicks, also. He was with Mike McDonald and Allison Krauss. Oh, yeah. Patty Griffin, he was he did a lot of Patty Griffin stuff for years, so he's had an amazing career too. Um, mm-hmm. We actually all went to high school together and moved to Nashville together. But um, so we actually started a a rock band, uh, just writing our own stuff and pursued that for about two years and um, had a lot had a lot of interest um, from different labels and uh, but somehow it just didn't work out for us and then. I ended up getting uh, started getting uh, jobs with the Counting Crows. Oh, nice! Yeah, that was a that was a fun one because the drummer that I toured with in the Dixie Chicks was now a member of Counting Crows. So yeah. um, I started playing with them, and right about that time is when Keith called and asked if I would come back. Yeah, um, and that was in '05. Oh yeah, maybe '04. He called me. So. It was a little rough there for a minute, but then it all all came back. It's interesting, uh, you know. I've talked about this a bunch of times on on the podcast with other people. How uh, re, you know relationships uh, are so important, and you know, oh yeah, you mean just getting a gig because you know the drummer in the band or the drummer say, "Hey, we need a bass player." Hey, I know this great great guy, and 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 that relationship building and in keeping that alive is 
you know, especially in Nashville, so important. Uh, so many gigs. Extremely important. Well, because you're living with these people almost more than your family. Um, well, I mean, especially in the heavy touring uh, parts of uh, someone's career, it is more than your family. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you have to get along with people. You have to be fun to hang out with in the bus. And that was, you know, stuff that we had to learn early on here. Cause when I first moved here, I just thought, Oh, it's just about whoever the best player is and never thought about that stuff, but it's so not about that. I mean, you have to, you have to be able to do your job and bring it, but you don't have to be this virtuoso musician right. either. Um, you just have to be able to, um, do the gig and then plus, be a fun hang. So, yeah. um, yeah. So, so luckily he, he called me back at that time. Um, cause it was weird. I went all that. I went a couple of years there without anybody offering me anything. And then literally within one, the same week I had five, four, four or five offers from different people. Dwight Yoakam called me wow. and offered me the gig with him. Um, then I was at the Counting Crows. There was a couple other country artists too. Um, and then Keith called and I, you know, it deciding to go back and play with Keith was really just the, the absolute best career decision I've ever made. Yeah. So did you, uh, when you guys kind of, uh, split up with the ranch, um, you know, what was your relationship with Keith at that point? Did you guys all, you know, just you guys were obviously doing different things and, um, but did you guys hang much, uh, during those? No, I mean, times? it was still, it was still good. We were still friends when we, when the branch broke up, it definitely wasn't, there wasn't anger. Uh, I mean, I think maybe with Peter, it was a little hard on him just cause he was Australian and he, I think at, uh, you know, at a certain point had to, had to legally, uh, move back to Australia. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't involved with the record deal anymore. And so I think might be, that might've been tough for him, but they ended up, um, still being great friends. And, you know, to me there, I, when Keith decided he need, he, we were going to move on. I, 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 we knew it was coming because, we were just struggling for so long and nothing was happening. And, yeah. uh, like I said, no radio support and, you know, someone like him, you know, I, I'm a musician and, uh, I mean, I'm a singer, but I never really wanted to be the front guy, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I'm a songwriter. So the, the thought of being the, the star, you know, appealed to me for a little bit, but really it's never been in my heart, but someone like Keith, he, that's who he is. That's who he's been since he was six years old. You know, yeah. he's had the same plan. And so for us to be just beating our head against the wall for all those years and not getting any kind of traction, um, you just can't blame someone like him for trying to, to figure out how to, to get that done. Um, and it was a smart, really smart move on his part, uh, on his part. Um, but yeah, we were, we were still, friends through all of it. I, I didn't see them a ton, uh, during that. Cause that was, that was the kind of the start of when Keith was going through some, some rough times that he's, you know, he's been pretty open about his, yep. his, uh, his addictions. And that was when it was really kicking in. Yeah. And, 
that just wasn't where I was at the time. So I wasn't hanging around a lot with those guys. You know, my life kind of went in a separate direction. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah. So, but as far as us being friendly, no, it's it was it was good. Good. Um, all the way through that, you know, it was totally fine. Yeah, looking back now, I'm, I'm sure you look at that time period where you were you're quiet for a couple of years and, and trying to get gigs and, and, you know, you see people going through that now in Nashville and I always have gone through that. Um, oh yeah. It's, you know, it, it's it, people always think, you think, Oh, you know, you got a great gig and you're doing, you know, you're on this tour and, but the tours. Yeah. Amp. You're rich and you're doing well for yeah. life. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just not that way. I mean, you know, it can it's a it's a it can be a tough tough life. I mean, it. I mean, I'm not gonna even act like I haven't had an incredible career. Like I'm very very grateful and very lucky of the things I've gotten to do. Yeah. But you know, I did go through that time, and it was it was hard. I mean, it was hard on my ego too, because again, I was coming off this gig with with the Dixie Chicks, thinking I was you know, oh, I'm a big time guy now, and. uh everyone's going to want me and it's just not always like that. And looking back now, I, I kind of appreciate those days cause, yeah. um, it let me know that at any point something like that can happen, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I've, I've, it's helped me kind of talk with other musicians that are going through it now. Other younger musicians that I see that might lose their gig and I'm, you know, we have conversations about it and they're really scared. I just think like, it's scary now, but really, I mean, the cream always rises. If you're a good guy and you have a lot of talent, you have a lot to offer on stage, you're going to work in this town. You are going to find a gig. Yeah, It's going to come around eventually. So it just, it was rough for a little bit, but it, uh, it went to a completely different place after Keith called back in 05. Um, just opened up so many more opportunities for me too. And my songwriting opportunities really blossom and I've been extremely lucky uh on that side of things over the years um yeah you've had uh and just the things that you've had some great success on uh on your songwriting and um yeah it, that that must be exciting for you that's um that's Very. always a tough it's, bracket to get into it's a tough business man yeah. uh but I, you know my my wife and I were actually talking about it this morning my only regret during that time is that I was when it was kind of a rough time, I was so focused on trying to play plan, trying to play gigs that uh, I wish I would have focused more on the country songwriting at that point. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it came later. It, you know, uh, that just, like I said, the opportunities, the people that I've met through this gig, um, really gave me a shot, uh, at a publishing deal and you know it took a long time I, i've i've had for the first 12 years of my writing career I, I had a lot of big cuts you know um a lot of big artists cut my songs but i never had that big hit single yeah um until maybe i don't know maybe it's been four years ago now uh maybe five i'm not sure i have to look at the, the dates but I finally broke through with uh, the Sam Hunt um, song "House Party." Yeah, big song. And then I've had, yeah, it was a, it was a big one. That went number one. Then I've had 
two more number ones since then. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it, it's a tough business. It's to me, it's, it's much harder than, uh, the, uh, side man business. To be yeah. honest. So uh, as, as a songwriter, after you've had, uh, some number one hits now, do, yeah. you, do you feel the pressure of having to deliver another one? Um, or is it just you just keep writing or, you know, is it change once you've had a couple? It, it Yeah, it does. You know, I always thought, oh, if I could just have one. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, then you go, well, two would be nice. <laughs> and then, well, three would really, I'd really, I'd consider myself made it if I had three. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, it, I had pressure on me. Um, Somewhat, but the great thing is, uh, the, I mean, again, my, my career is very lucky in this sense. Keith is a very generous human being. I'd say from what I know about what other musicians make in this town, he is the most generous by far. Yeah. He's incredible. Um, and so our, my life doesn't depend on that to live. Yeah. Um, and so that takes pressure off of the songwriting thing for me. It's not like I have to do this to eat, you know, exactly. uh, which just allows me to, to try to just, you know, write the best songs I can and just, um, not really get too upset about it. Now, that being said, I'm not saying that it hasn't been tough. Um, but I've just, I've tried to take a different approach, especially the last couple years. Um, really the last Four years of my career, I was signed um, under a songwriter named Ashley Gorley. Mm -hmm. Do you do you know his name? Yep, for sure. I mean, Ashley is the most successful guy in this town. Yeah, lots of hits. Might be he's getting he's getting to the point maybe all time in Nashville the most number ones. But he's still a young guy too. I think he just turned forty. But so he signed me under his publishing company with a a joint deal with Warner Chapel. Yeah, and that was really that's when all the all the success came because uh, through him uh, I met this guy Zach Crow who produces uh, Sam Hunt, and so we kind of started working with Sam and writing with him before he had a record deal. So I was uh, luckily enough to get involved early. But yeah. so after these four years, this past year I decided to sell my catalog. So I sold those sold those to another company. Um, called downtown and that just now resolved uh this past january and so i decided to not uh sign a new deal with anybody yeah. i wanted to hold on to my publishing for a little while and see uh kind of what happens and it's turning out to be a a good move so far because um, i went through that last year i was thinking well maybe i'm maybe that was my last one maybe i won't have any more i mean I, that's still possible but Things are really, um, really kicking in right now. A lot of great opportunities are coming. Good. So right now, the, the songwriting thing is, uh, to me, in a real exciting time because uh, I'm just doing it for a, a different reason now. I yeah. don't have, I don't have that ego pressure on me like I used to. You know. Yeah, makes a big difference. Does that make sense? I don't know if yeah. I'm. Um, maybe I'm rambling. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, I, I get that totally. Um, yeah. And do you find you have much time when you're touring to write um, or is it something you'd like to do once you're back home? No, I mean, I, I don't really write on the road that often. I, I sometimes do. Um, right now, the way we tour has changed uh, really in the last two years. Uh, we we spend less and less time now in the tour buses like we used to. And we fly in and out of shows all the time. So, uh, that's really opened up my schedule. So it's pretty predictable now. So our touring life is, you know, we don't have to be gone days and days at a time anymore or weeks at a time anymore. Like we used to, um, the band, uh, will a lot of times, leave at four o'clock in the afternoon and fly to a city, play a show, and then we'll fly home and be home at midnight. Um, it's been a pretty incredible turn in our careers. And that has really opened up a lot of time to, to write. So I'm, I pretty much stick with, um, weekdays in Nashville. I write. And then on weekends we, uh, tour. tour yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a good schedule right now. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that must Especially be. Uh, I'm about to have a baby any day now. So yeah, you mentioned um, that in the email. That's pretty awesome. Is this number one? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, very exciting. So I mean, literally, it could be any day. She's she is full term right now. So yeah. um, well, congratulations. I mean, that's pretty uh, exciting. Yeah, I might be getting a call to come pick her up here any minute. Yeah, <laughs> might have to cut uh, this short. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that, that, again, that, that, um, kind of changes my, uh, perspective on touring and writing also just cause it's, well, not perspective. It cha- it just, uh, it, it really reinforces how incredibly uh, lucky I am yeah. to be playing with the artist that I play with. Cause he's so family oriented and our band is very family oriented. I mean, this is, the perfect situation for any wife of a touring musician um, because he knows the value of it. And so he gets us home as much as possible. Um, and it's really, really a, a fun situation right now. I bet. So does the touring schedule, since it's been so heavy over the last year, is it, is it lighten up this year? You know, yeah, this is actually the lightest year I think we've ever ever had yeah. um you know the first part of the year was kind of heavy because we went to australia for three weeks then we went to europe for two weeks yeah. but after that really like um this is really great timing for me to have a baby too because uh, i think we have one show in may uh and then from june on it's just um pretty much one or two shows a week just on festivals yeah and a lot of times it's not even that heavy so it's it's a it's the perfect year to uh, to have a baby in the music business. So. Um, and plus, he's he's working really hard right now, um, writing and recording for the um, oh. for the next record. Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, do you get a chance to get involved much with recording of the albums at all? Well, it's it depends. Really, in the last couple of years, it's been different because he um, a lot of the songs he's been writing with, he writes the songs with producers yeah. and 
they just pretty much build the tracks and build it all right there in the room. And, yeah. and so it's not really as much as what it was before where he, where he has a lot of session guys and, you know, I would go in and sing on records and that happens sometimes, but because they do it, he does it with so many different producers that it's, it hasn't been like that, but I'm not really sure where he's gone with this new record. I know he's, he's just now, um, in the starting process of it. Uh, and so he had a, um, like a songwriter camp set up about two weeks ago. And I was part of that where 15, uh, writers from mostly Nashville writers, those couple LA folks, he rented out four studios, uh, all in the same building and everybody just wrote songs that he would just go from room to room to room, you know, writing with people and, trying to come up with stuff for the record that way. And um, we got some really good stuff that he seems excited about. And so now we just kind of see where he goes with it production-wise. You know, I'm, I'm hoping he does some more stuff with Dan Huff to me because that's those two guys, they just bring out the best in each other. Yeah, definitely. I like all this stuff in the past have been really great. So would you find... Um on your off times now, what besides music, do you have uh, any interest that you like doing outside of everything in Nashville? Hmm. I mean, really, I mean, I, I love my favorite time is being home with my wife and we have a, an amazing pit bull named Rufus. who's the sweetest guy ever. And oh. I just love being at home. You know, I, I don't, um, uh, I, I too, like Keith, I'm, I'm, I'm sober now and, uh, I've been sober for about six years now. So my life is, um, it, it's pretty boring in the absolute best way. Yeah. Uh, the, the days of going out and hitting the bars are just, uh, they're over for me. So really home time is my, that's my favorite thing to do. And, and also right now I'm kind of getting into, um, some mentoring the mentoring side of music also um myself and uh a guy that works for us named Je- jeff Lindsemeyer, who kind of helps put together the track stuff that we use live yeah. he uh he and i are starting um a little side side business where we are gonna um basically help mentor and kind of coach some younger artists because it just seems like uh, a lot of the newer artists that are getting deals right now, they didn't have to go through um, the um, playing clubs five, six nights a week like we did. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that's because, you know, it's they have access to so many more people through YouTube and different things like that that they don't really have to get out there and just, slug it out in clubs. Yeah. And those gigs are, which to me is a shame. Yeah. You learn a lot in, uh, and I think lots, especially up here, there's just, there's that opportunity doesn't exist as much anymore. There's not as many clubs to play at. There's not as much live music. Mm. There's, um, you know, I know. Yeah. It's probably more DJ and bars now. It's not really the live music scene. I mean, especially artists in Nashville here, songwriters and artists that, I mean, they'll get record deals, and I've known some of them that have never played a song before. Yeah, that's weird. And isn't it? that to me is so strange because even when we're uh, 
you know, starting out in Nashville in, uh, in, in 93 and 94, 95, we played constantly. So in Nashville, we played bars. We played this place, Ace of Clubs, 12th and Porter. Yeah. It's Jack Guitar Bar I was telling you about. We set up in Keith's, uh, Keith and Pete. They had a little house together um, on off 8th Avenue. And we set up in their yard every Sunday and played for hours and hours. So it became this thing, these yard parties that people come would come see us play. Yeah. Um, but because of that, we got good. And you can handle crowds that are a little rougher you know sometimes that they're not digging you at first they can get a little rowdy and yeah and we know how to handle those situations but i can see it and some of the new artists um especially when we do shows with them that uh you know a lot of festivals i'll, I'll watch some of the new brand new artists and you can just kind of tell they didn't have that experience and so um that's what we're going to start doing jeff and i are going to start helping some uh, helping some younger artists and just kind of, you know, give them guidance and help them with the show. Cause I've learned so much over the years about how to put together set lists and, yeah. and put musicians together. And, and then all the, the, everybody's really track heavy right now. And so that's what Jeff Lindsenmeyer does. He can, he can uh, create all the tracks and, and show people simple ways how to use them for on a budget for these newer artists. And yeah. I think that's kind of where we're going to spend some time this year, I mean, obviously my touring and writing is playing, playing on the road is still my absolute number one, my favorite thing to do. So that's not going anywhere at all. And the songwriting thing's not going to go anywhere. But, you know, when we do have years like this where it's a little easier, um, to me, the thought of helping some of these younger people out just because I've been doing it so long, yeah. it feels really good to me. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the only thing that I'm doing outside of that. Like it's, I don't really have hobbies. I know I should. I know my wife told me that before. Um, but <laughs> she, she get out of the house and do something. Been, <laughs> yeah. And my, you know, our hobbies are we do together. We hike and do things like that together. But yeah. um, really music has just been in my DNA, my soul for so long that this is, this is, it's not a job. It's, I don't, yeah, I, know I don't, I don't view it really as a job. It's, it's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. Yeah. A couple of questions I'm going to ask you. Uh, obviously you've played in many, many places all over the world. Uh, mm. Lots of different venues. And uh, oh, yeah. do you have a place that you haven't played yet that you have always wanted to play? Oh, I think really everybody in the band has the exact same answer to this is Japan. Oh, cool. All of us for different reasons. Yeah. I've wanted to tour Japan. I mean, ever since I was a little kid seeing, um, one of the kiss records, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was dressed to kill or one of those records they had that had, um, pictures of them, uh, in Japan playing and then cheap trick live from Budokan, those kind of records yeah. were so iconic to me that Japan always seemed like, like the ultimate place to play. So hopefully that'll happen. I'm not sure if, they, if, if they have any market there for country music, I'm not really sure about that, but you know, I just think country is expanding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So yeah. there's always a chance. Yeah, that'd be. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that answer, but that that's great. 
that would yeah. be a, a neat experience. I know you guys, uh, I was following this on, on social media stuff and, and I know you're in Europe and you, you played some places you haven't really played there before. Is that correct? We were in the Netherlands, right? Yeah. yeah. We've never played there. Amsterdam. Um, we played Berlin one time before years ago. I think it'd been oh, almost 12 years, uh, since the last time we played there, but we had played, um, Dublin and, and London and Glasgow before, but again, it's been so long. Yeah. Yeah. But the Netherlands was brand new for us. It's, it was a really fun tour because we didn't know what to expect at all. We, especially from Amsterdam, we had no idea. Keith was, I remember we were putting the set list together that night because, you know, we'll change the set list up most every night. There's always something slightly different. We yeah. try to at least, or, try to get the rhythm of the show as, 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 as good as we can get it. But, you know, when we're playing countries like that, we don't know what they know as far as his hits, you know? And so we were putting the set together that night. And I remember him being nervous about it. I was like, who knows? I don't even know if they're going to know any of these songs. Yeah. And that ended up being an amazing show. It was crazy. They knew every word. That must feel really great for everybody. Right. When you just, you're not, You're not sure, but yet you go out and it's a you knock it out of the park. That must feel really great. Yeah, when we played, um, and uh, I'm, tr I'm trying to think of the the French Canadian city uh, that when, we played. Um, Quebec City or Montreal or Quebec City. Quebec City, yeah. Yes, it was Quebec City. I was trying to remember if it was Montreal. Yeah, it was Quebec City. We played a big festival there. I can't remember what year this was. And we had never played there before. And on that festival, we were the only country act on that whole week. Yeah. Like the night before us was Skrillex. Oh, yeah. uh, the night after us was Foo Fighters. So that was super nerve wracking walking into that crowd. And it was a massive, massive crowd. Yeah. And that, I know Keith, uh, he said many times that's the best gig he's ever played in his entire career. Wow. I've never seen a crowd that big react like that they knew every word and their energy was insane wow. and so you know we're going into this french-speaking town that we didn't really know that anybody even knew the songs yeah and it just oh my god it was incredible That's i still cool. have chills i've got i still have videos from it on my phone that i'll watch every every, <laughs> every once in a while You know, if I'm ever getting down about anything, you just break out that video and go, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that's good. It's pretty good. Where do you, uh, if you look ahead over the next, do you, are you a type of person that kind of looks down the road five, ten years and, and kind of have a plan, or do you like to take things as it goes? Or Yeah, I mean, right now it's, it's pretty damn good. And so to be able to tour like we do, Uh, and the and the way that we get to to tour with this with the flying in and out and being yeah. home so much and being over right and I, I think if I can do a little more of the mentoring and coaching side of things that uh, that excites me but um, you know it, I don't really see much changing now you know if by chance Keith decides he wants an all girl band tomorrow you know who knows yeah um, I in my gut that tells me that my touring life will probably be over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just because it's hard. It'd be hard for me to go back 
to doing something, you know, being on the bus as much as you have to be on there and just being away as much as you have to be away. And, and, and plus it'd be hard for me to not play with someone that I respect to the level that I respect Keith. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, again, I'm, I sound like I'm just talking too much about him, but the truth is like, there's not a person on our tour band crew. Otherwise that will tell you that there is a better person to work for. He treats everybody with such incredible respect that again, it's not a job. We, he he says it all the time. Like we play music. We don't work music. We play. And so it's a fun life. So, you know, I'm sure there are other great gigs out there, but I just, in my heart, don't really see myself uh, doing that anymore if this were to end for some reason. So I think I would just do the, the writing and maybe move into the coaching side of things. Um, but, you know, who knows, man? Yeah, well, it's it's fun while it's here, and it's, it's you've been, uh, it, it's great to see where it's gone, and it's been a, a long career already, and it, it just seems like it's it's yeah. not it just gets better and better. And, um, and it's neat to see yeah, it does. Keith is changing, you know, he's keeping up with the new sounds and still being completely relevant yeah. to everything. And, um, so that's pretty, yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's exciting. pretty incredible that the, the, the audiences are still coming in and the, and the age of the audiences is so varied. Yeah. Um, that it's not like, he's not into a, part of his career like so many people do where they just start playing maybe smaller venues which are still fun um but you know to a different demographic he it's it, it it's completely it's it runs the whole spectrum and it's amazing that it's still doing that after all these years and i just attest that to the fact that we put so much work and love and passion into the show and the people walk out of there feeling high from it. Yeah. And so if you keep doing that, they're going to keep showing up. Yeah. You know, I was talking about Prince earlier being to me, he was my favorite artist to, um, to, to see in concert. I've never seen anybody like him in my life. Yeah. And you know, that up until the point he died, he's still playing and people are still freaking out and he could have played until he was, in his eighties and he would have still been amazing. Yeah. You know, people were still would show up to see him play just cause he's so good and he loves it so much. I just feel like, you know, I've had so many people, uh, so many songwriters over the years that, you know, talk about Keith and they're saying like, I just don't understand why does he work so hard? What, what, why do you guys still play all these different kind of wacky shows sometimes, you know, like these, some of these, uh, corporate gigs or private parties and, he goes, you know, they all say, oh, he's, he's rich or he doesn't have to do this anymore. It's like, it's, that doesn't make any sense. He's not, it has nothing to do with that anymore. And, you know, I, I, I'll, I would be shocked if he wasn't in his eighties and still, still playing gigs. Yeah. He'll be like the Don Rickles of country music at some point. Well, for those keep going and going and going. Those people who live and breathe it like he does. I know I, I do a lot of shows up here for different artists and I've been working with uh, Charlie pride up here for many, many years uh, as a technical director. And, and, you know, he's in his eighties now and he doesn't need to tour at all. Um, but you, you can tell 
when he hits that stage, it's, it's life, you know, it just breathes. Yeah. It's like breathing for, for a lot of people. Yeah. It just, and it, you know, it's, you get, you get older and it just, it's so much a part of you. It's, it's almost like having an oxygen tank that just gives you more, you know, it gives you another couple of months and, until the next show comes around or yeah. whatever it is. And it's, it's pretty yeah, exciting. Exactly. It's neat, neat to see that. I mean, um, they, they're just doing it because they love it. It's rare. Yeah. It's rare. But when, when you really have it, that's people will always come, come out to the shows. You know, they might not be full on arenas after so long, but still people are going to come see you play. If yeah. you're, if you live and breathe it like that. Are you, um, who, who nowadays are you excited about listening to, or is there any artists that you, uh, uh, hmm. you're liking now. Uh, it's funny. Like I, I'm actually kind of going back recently. Um, I've started probably in the last year or so really going back to a lot of records that, that moved me when I was young. Yeah. Uh, I listened to a lot of Peter Gabriel, that record. So yeah. like that, that record sounds as good now as it did then. Yeah. A lot of folks like that, I'm still into. I'll go back and listen to a lot of the print stuff. And uh, you know, I love old R&B, so I love Sam Cooke and I love Otis Redding and Bill Withers. So when I listen to those guys, it, it brings me back to that exciting feeling. You know, yeah. as far as newer artists, I mean, there's great, great artists out there. Uh, Julia Michaels, who toured with us in Australia, um, she opened a that tour for us. She yeah. is incredible. Her songwriting ability is just nuts. Uh, it makes us angry sometimes. <laughs> we, <laughs> we sit around and listen to her lyrics. So I can just, the, the way she can craft a song is like, damn, like it just almost gets you frustrated because you know, it's so hard to do. Yeah. She was really, really great. And that, that, that record, the new one that she's got out right now, that really excited everybody in the band. That's great. I mean, I listened to a lot of, Bonnie there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love his stuff. He's he's one of my favorites. And but to be honest, I listen to a lot of right now more than anything. I'm a I'm a podcast guy. I like podcasts about everything. And there's awesome. a there's a songwriter podcast called "And the Writer Is." It's really really great. I listen to that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're neat. I watch a lot of YouTube videos and on on. I'm songwriting and I love Tony Robbins, people like that, real inspirational people, Wayne yeah. Dyer, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it, it's really changed uh, the marketplace, the whole, the whole podcast thing. And, and you know, it, yeah. it gives an opportunity for lots of people to do things. And, you know, I really started this uh, because there were, I found there was a little bit of a hole in, in, in what I would love listening to. And there's lots of great podcasts I listen to all the time. And, and I, yeah, probably listen to podcasts more than listen to music or the radio or or anything now. Yeah, I'm uh, right there with you. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just wanted to to find something where you know you always will find uh, you know you know you can find a, lo- a lot of interviews on Keith Urban, right? But uh, yeah, someone uh, like yourself, which is you know when I go to to see a show, I'm just as much invested in the band as I am. Anybody, and I think you know, with certain groups, uh, like with with your band, with with Keith, that you get certain people who really stand stand out from from the crowd, and um, and mm-hmm. people that've been there a long time. And I know even just for 
for fun last night, I, I, I Googled on, uh, uh, Googled your name and, uh, and there was like, Oh, you have a fan page on Facebook. <laughs> it was like, there's a, oh, yeah. there's a Jerry Flowers fan, fan page. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. Funny. I, I've never been on Facebook before. So I hear this, I hear about that from my mom. I, I've, I've avoided social media for years, just up until this past year, I, I started on Instagram. Yeah. So that's a brand new thing for me, but, uh, yeah, the Facebook fan page is, is pretty wild. Uh, and you know, I, I'll get calls from my mom saying, so and so they're asking these questions and they, I think they think you're on there, but you're not answering and they're getting <laughs> upset. It's like, I, I have no way of saying this. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty funny. Like that again, his, because, because we, our, our thing is a little different from the average country band where yeah. so many times the singer is just all up front and the band's, you know, all dressed in black and in the back where you can't see them. Exactly. His thing is so completely opposite of that. We all are featured and all have solos during this, you know, each guy sings a solo and, um, you know, it's just features so much more that it's, it, it allows fans to kind of get to know us a little more than the average um touring dance, you know? So it's been really fun. Yeah. And I think that's great. And I think a lot of artists miss out on that. Um, you know, they, they shove that band back and it's all about them and it is, you know, that yeah. has its place, but I think, you know, they're there to support you. And, um, I think it's really great to make sure that band comes out and, you know, really becomes part of the group. And you really get that with, uh, with Keith. I mean, you've been this stable there for so long and you almost, I, 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 yeah, I, I couldn't imagine uh, seeing another bass player there. I mean, for me, if <laughs> yeah, it would almost make me like say for some reason you weren't there and Keith was coming through town and I wanted to grab tickets and I knew you weren't going to be there. It would be like, geez, I'm not sure if I'd want to go. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, it's just... One stage move. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, no, I really do appreciate that. And, you know, like, it's it's funny. I've I've had this conversation with some newer artists about that because I think, to me, it's a kind of a simple, it's a really great thing what Keith does, and it's, and it's good for him, too, because he has, he wants people's eyes all over the stage, you know? So he, the pressure of being the only thing anybody's looking at for two hours straight, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Uh, and to be entertaining for that long, even though he can be, but he's just smart in that way. He's like, he just says, whatever we, anybody wants to do, we just do. And so that the crowd doesn't walk away going, Oh man, I wish that band wasn't so entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, they enjoy it. And yeah. just, and it's funny to me that a lot of artists don't do that, but, um, I, I'm seeing it a little more, uh, you know, people like FGL, people like that are definitely starting to um, show their bands a lot more. Yeah. Jason Aldean's always been like that. He's always been great about his band is right there up front with him, and it just makes for such uh, such a more entertaining show, I think. So. Yeah, and you feel more part of everything. And I think you know you've seen some groups, and and you know it could be a whole new band you don't even realize because you didn't really pay attention who was there in the first place. And, um, yeah, and that's, absolutely. you know, and I don't think that's smart. And I, I think it's, you know, you build, uh, it, it really makes the musicians work harder too, because they know they're, um, 
they feel they're more part of it and, and they are more part of it. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and we're, we're invested in the show. It's yeah. not like we don't care if the crowd doesn't react. Like we are right there, like part of the emotion. We want it to be an amazing experience for everybody. So, cause we are just so invested in the whole thing. We're such a part of the whole deal. And when we're putting together a show, he's not like coming in there and telling everybody like, Oh, you do this, none of that. So he, he wants everybody to come up parts and, and come up with ideas and endings and all that kind of stuff. It's just really a, uh, a fun way to put together a big tour, you know, completely yeah. different from, from most, you know, how long did you spend on pre-production on this last tour? Um, I mean, it seemed like it was probably three, four weeks. It was a tough, tough uh, one last year because for some reason, um, something happened to the venue that we were supposed to rehearse in in Nashville. Yeah. Something came in, some kind of show or something came in that we couldn't use the, um, I think it was the municipal auditorium. And so every venue of that size where we could rehearse the full um, production was was uh, booked. So they got us into Vanderbilt, uh, just ba- their basketball stadium, yeah. uh, their gym. And it was in the middle of summer, and they don't have air conditioning. Oh, gosh. And they only have small little windows at the very top of the you know, building because most people are only in there and – in fall and winter watching yeah. basketball games. So it was, it was rough, man, <laughs> uh, putting together a show where everyone's just drenched in sweat every day. Um, so we spent about maybe two or three weeks in there every single day. But then once we get out on the road, we, that show was tweaked so much on a, a daily basis for weeks and even months, really. Yeah. We'll watch video of ourselves, um, from the night before and see where, you know, maybe we're taking too long in between songs here and we change all that stuff up. He'll, we'll bring in the lighting guys and, um, and the, the video directors and really kind of scope out everything, uh, in the, um, in the morning of the next show yeah. and try to make it better. So really we rehearsed it for two or three weeks, but then we just, we'll keep changing it for probably about a month or so. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, I, a lot of work. Yeah, I know, and it, well, it shows, and it's you know they're big tours, and uh, and you know it it's different when, especially when you're locked in, like you said, with Sympathy and all that stuff, and and you, you know the, everything keeps rolling even if you don't. So <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, and you know, and the guy that I mentioned, Jeff Lindenmeyer, when he came into the tour, that really com- that completely changed the dynamic with the tracks and the symphony because he, the way he runs everything, uh, we can actually just go off on a song and, 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 um, improvise for long periods of time. And he is basically on the side of the stage. He's down below us on the side of the stage watching all that. And whenever, you know, he can feel us going back into a chorus again after it could be a long, long, long solo. Yeah it's right there on where before we would have to just turn everything off and, uh, you know, it can mess with the lighting show and everything. But those days are, uh, those days are gone now because of him. Oh, and good. it's so, he's so important. I, I'm not sure if he did this yet in, in, uh, uh, the show you saw, but he actually brings Jeff out, 
uh, and introduces him to the audience, and he comes out and bows with the band at the end of the night. Like oh, he's no. just become like a full-on band guy. Yeah. Because um, he just changed the dynamic. He just opened everything up for us so much where we're not completely dependent on what a normal track would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. That's great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, I've taken a lot of your time. I know uh, you could be getting called to uh, driving duty to the hospital pretty soon. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I could, I could be, but uh, we'll see. It could be today. It could be. My wife's convinced it's going to be Friday. I don't know why. Maybe full moon. I guess a lot of babies are born on the full moon. So um, we'll see. Or it could be a couple of weeks. Uh, but either way, it's a very exciting time for us right now. Yeah, Having it's... a little girl. Oh, I'm good. very nervous because I have no idea what I'm doing, but uh, I don't think you know, anyone does. I guess we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out eventually. Well, congratulations so, yeah, on that. Good. Yeah, enjoy your Thank uh, you so much. your time with the new one and uh, your time around home uh, this year, and and uh, hope you have some great tours. And hopefully, uh, when you back up this neck of the woods, we'll touch base, and uh, it'd be great to hang out and uh, grab a beer or not a beer, absolutely, but man. Grab you, a, you something. Have my number. Yep, and. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll hook you up with tickets and we'll hang. So, and I really appreciate you uh, thinking about me and, uh, and calling me up. This is my first podcast. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was great. I, it was, de- yeah. you're definitely high on the list where I wanted to, I thought, geez, how, how am I going to get a hold of you? And, and, uh, um, you know, it's great with social media and stuff. We shot, shot you a little note and uh, <laughs> right, well, you got back. It shows, it's, it shows my lack of knowledge of social media. Cause I didn't know that part of, Instagram existed for the longest time. My wife finally said, you have all these little, you have these messages. Like, what are you talking about messages? <laughs> and so she's the one that showed me that, that, that part of Instagram where I could see people were talking to me. And I had all these people asking questions like, oh, damn, I didn't know this existed. People are probably thinking I'm a jerk for not answering, but I just didn't know. So, That's awesome. So. Well, once again, yeah, but anyway, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a great, great chat, and uh, look forward to getting. I'll have this up in the next day or two here, and and uh, I'll let you know all the details, and uh, it, it's going to be great. I appreciate it, man. All Thanks, right, Darren. Thank you. We'll talk to you again. I'll speak soon. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. Now. Bye.